Uh, hey guys, welcome to the Steady Hands Barber Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie, and with me are my two co-hosts, Jacob and Patrick. Yeah, Hello. that was great, but maybe you should call it the Steady Hands Barber Club, unless you want to change the name. Hey guys, welcome to the <laughs> Steady Hands Barber Club. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie, and with me are my two co-hosts, Jacob and Patrick. Yo, hello. Today we have a special <laughs> uh, episode about the coronavirus. We are going to be talking about something that uh, we all want to know, given the times, and that is infection control. Um, we have Leslie Rost on the podcast today, and Leslie is currently employed by King Research as their National Director of Industry Relations and Education. And for those that don't know, King's Research makes and distributes Barbicide, the thing we all know and love, a.k.a. the Blue Drank. <laughs> is Blue Drank really a thing? Because I just made that up. Now hey. we can start something. Our guest today is Leslie Rost, RNBSN graduate from the University of Kansas, where she studied nursing and microbiology. After leaving nursing... She began working in the professional beauty industry as a subject matter expert on infection control and public safety. She has written many articles and spoken to audiences large and small on infection control and chemical safety in the work environment. She spe specializes in salon and barber industries. She is very involved in the current discussion on occupational licensing as it relates to health and public safety in the professional beauty industry. Leslie is also currently employed by King Research as their National Director of Industry Relations and Education. Leslie has worked with cosmetology boards in over 30 states on revisions of infection control rules and require, required curriculums consistent with current science and occupational trends. Okay, can you still hear me? I can. Okay, beautiful. With us on the podcast today, we have Leslie Ross. Am I saying that right? Rosty. Rosty. Dude, they made fun of me. I said Rosty <laughs> with confidence. And they're like, that's not her name. It's my name. Okay, yeah. We have Leslie Rosty, who is uh, currently employed by King's Research and their, as their National Director of Industry Relations and Education. All right, Leslie. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well myself. Now... I, over the past couple days, I've noticed that I follow Barbicide Blue on Instagram, and the amount of people taking the online course has skyrocketed in the last couple days and in, yeah. the, in the last couple weeks. Um, why do you think that is? Well, I will tell you, we've noticed the numbers skyrocketing. Um, we do, on average, since we started the program, about 10,000 certifications a month. On Sunday, we did 10,000 certifications just on Sunday, went through the program. I think the reality is that people recognize that this might have been something they had maybe gotten a little lax on over the years. They mm -hmm. wanted to make sure they're doing the right thing. I also think they want to be able to say to their customers that are still coming in, I took this extra step. I went online. I took this class mm -hmm. to become Barbicide certified so that I know I'm doing it correctly, that I've, you know, I've sort of brushed up on my skills. I think we all know there is a right way to do things, but refreshing your memory is never a bad thing, and it only takes an hour. So, you know, join the crowd. Join the crowd. Go to barbersite.com and do it for free. That is awesome, and we will definitely link in the description to that uh, certification in the and, yeah. 
And one of the things we talked about um, is that for your listeners, uh, one of the things we do when we go out and do it in person at um, schools, at speaking events, at conferences, is that not only do we give them certificates with their name on it, but we also have barbicide certified little lapel pins that they can wear when they're working so that people know that they are barbicide certified. We have door clings that you could put on your door to your barbershop that says that the people that work there are barbicide certified. And we also have, you know, other little fun tchotchkes. Um, so for your listeners, um, we'll work out some way that we can get some of those things out to them. If they somehow let us know that they heard this program and that's how they ended up um, going through barbicide certification. Yeah. That is awesome. Let's see. What is the history on Barbicide? So Barbicide has an interesting history. If you've ever gone online and read it, we have the story online. But in sort of a brief synopsis, um, a gentleman named uh, Morris King, many, many years ago in the 40s, um, developed um, this quaternary ammonia mixture. Um, Basically, it started in a bathtub. (laughs) And um, started making it as a way to do disinfection, not because he thought so highly of it. It was almost a, uh, he was almost uh, fine in the face of what barbers were trying to do at the time. It wasn't a a nice thing he was doing. He was trying to, I think, stir up some trouble. But um, turns out by the time we bought the company uh, about 15 years ago, um, we bought it directly from the King family. And they were still making it in Brooklyn, New York, in a um, building. They'd gotten so popular that they had bought the building next door and basically cut a hole through the wall so they could use both buildings, which was kind of a a funny and interesting thing. Um, They were still using a typewriter and didn't even have a computer, so switching over was kind of interesting. But we've been manufacturing uh, Barbicide now in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, for about the last uh, 14, 14 and some change years. Um, so all the barbicide comes out of uh, our plants in Wisconsin and gets shipped uh, to 44 countries uh, all over the U.S. and in 44 countries internationally. Wow, that is, that is incredible. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's funny how you say uh, – it's funny like looking at the uh, timeline of when barbicide was used over the years because I can look – at photos um like from this book that we all read called the um the american barbershop by dr mick hunter and in there i can see uh barbicide jars being used but the thing that i've noted is actually the misuse of those things either the lid is a jar or there are combs just sitting in the barbicide and it's it's kind of sad because uh, I remember being in Atlanta a couple weeks ago, and there it was on a Sunday, and this barbershop was closed. So I went up to the window to take a look-see, and I saw inside and over the weekend sitting were combs in jars yeah. with with, uh, with the lid ajar and everything like that. So what are some things that our audience should know about the proper usage of barbicide? Because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation uh, flying Tons around Tons of there. misinformation. So... Real quick on two things that you said. One is that I'm always this person to say, when you know better, you do better. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully we've learned a few things over the years. Um, the old photos you're looking at, we might not have known as much as we did. The uh-huh. good news is, is that the original formula from the late 40s, early 50s uh, that we all 
weren't sure how great it was going to hold up to all of the things that are happening in the world. When HIV first came around in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, shockingly, Barbicide was one of the first products that got approved for disinfection against HIV. So wow. interesting that a product that was developed in the late 40s is still working effectively against a lot of things that we're concerned about in the barbershop um, well, in all of professional beauty, so to speak. So um, to your point, there is a lot of um, misuse, misinformation. Uh, I would say the, the two or three things that I always try to remind people that are critical is that when you mix your barbicide, if you're using a concentrate, it's the proper concentration. So is it okay to eyeball it? Well, it might be okay to eyeball the color of barbicide, but chances are you're wasting money if you do, mm-hmm. and you're also wasting product. So um, if you put in too little of the concentrate into your water, it's not going to work. So why even bother? It's you're, you're wasting what product you have, making something that's so weak it won't work. Mm-hmm. It also is not it is not a situation where more is better. Mm-hmm. Um, if I take the straight concentrate and stick things in it and I mix it properly, I'm going to kill the same things in the same amount of time. So measuring it will ultimately save you money. You're going to figure, be able to figure out how much you can get out of one container of barbicide. Right now, our plants are working 24-7, churning it out. But there will come a time, I'm guessing, where it might be difficult to get barbicide um, or any disinfectant. So, really? you know, measure it properly um, and get the right concentration. So that's my first C is concentration. My second C is contact time. And that is how long does your item need to be in contact with properly diluted um, disinfectant, in this case, barbicide, for it to actually work? The reason that contact time even exists is that contact time is how long does it take to kill everything on the label? If we write 20 things on our label that we are effective against that we can kill, but we give you a contact time in the case of immersion barbicide, it's 10 minutes. It takes 10 minutes to kill everything on the label. If you're just dipping something in the barbicide and thinking that's good enough, you're not killing the hardiest of pathogens or bacteria, viruses, and fungi that you really want to kill. So that contact time becomes important. But to your point, things shouldn't be left sitting in it either, Mm -hmm. particularly metals. People ask us all the time about putting their shears Uh into barbicide. And one of the things I would remind everybody who's listening you would not leave your shears sitting outside on a rainy day. And you wouldn't do it because you know that water will rust your metal. Water causes oxidation on metal, and it's no different in your disinfectant. Barbicide, if you've ever measured it, which you know is 2 ounces into 32 ounces of water, or to make it easier, a quarter of a cup into 4 cups, so a quarter of a cup of barbicide into 4 cups of water, or 4 tablespoons into 4 cups, If you mix it correctly, you know that your concentration is 90% water. So what's causing a problem with leaving your metals in is not the barbicide. We have a rust inhibitor in our product. It is that there's so much water in that content. So to your point, things should be going in for 10 minutes, coming out, and being either air-dried or dried with a clean towel, and then they're ready for use. So contact time. Oh, I forgot my third C. Contact time, or proper concentration, contact time, and then changing it every state and the epa require that you make fresh disinfectant daily Mm -hmm. so you want to be really cognizant about how you're using it so that you don't waste it particularly in a scenario like today where we might start seeing some limited supplies of things being able to get to where you're at um 
one of the other solutions if um, product gets really tight and let's say maybe your numbers go down in your barbershop for a few days, um, rather than making up a whole jar or a whole tub of immersion barbicide, um, you may be able to get away with um, making a spray bottle of barbicide. And that does not need to be changed daily. If it's mm-hmm. in a closed container um, where there's no air getting in, so a spray bottle, you can use it until it's totally gone. And it's another uh, situation where it's a 10-minute contact time. So you could take a... Um, take soap and water, clean off all your items in soap and water, lay them on a towel, um, spray them on both sides with barbicide, fully saturate them, and let them sit wet for 10 minutes, um, and that might make your product go farther. Same thing with Clipperside. You could do the same thing with Clipperside, which also, by the way, has a 10-minute contact time. If you get barbicide wipes, barbicide wipes are two-minute contact time, so it saves you time, um, but you know they're hard to come by right now, so... <laughs> That said, um, you know, it is, it's, it's a time saver going forward. Definitely. So you bring up the, uh, you brought up a point for the HIV stuff earlier. Um, can you um, talk a little bit more about um, COVID-19 and um, barbicide? Is it sure. effective? Yes, it is. And here's what's an interesting thing about just COVID-19 in general, not even talking about barbicide yet is that there's two types of viruses in the world. There's enveloped and non-enveloped viruses. And enveloped viruses are viruses where the actual cell itself has a lipid membrane, so a fat membrane around it. And to inactivate or destroy those viruses, all we have to do is disrupt that membrane, that fat membrane around it, that lipid membrane. And so enveloped viruses become actually much easier to kill than a non-enveloped virus. Non-enveloped viruses have um, a harder shell around them. Um, Good news is um, HIV is enveloped, um, hepatitis is enveloped, herpes is enveloped, um, and as it turns out, so is human coronavirus. They're all enveloped viruses that make them relatively easy to kill on a surface. Obviously, all of those things aren't so easy to kill once they're in the human body. But on a surface, they're pretty easy to kill. Um, And so we have done testing for human coronavirus. Um, Our lab results are available on our website. So if you want to actually go look at the third-party lab that did them, um, we had them tested coincidentally in July uh, for some unknown reason um, Mm. for this. Most companies will not be labeled for human coronavirus. It will be um, kind of rare that it would be on someone's label mostly because until a month ago, human coronavirus was basically the common cold. That's really, you know, every cold you've ever had is a version of a coronavirus for the most part, probably half of them are coronavirus type. And so while companies tested for them, the risk of somebody passing a cold within the barbershop or the salon wasn't up there with things like MRSA and HIV and things that we're all much more concerned about. So um, you may find a few space you know a few people who have labeled for human coronavirus but for the most part if you're looking at a product and you don't know i would go to that product's website today and make sure that it does have some statement regarding human coronavirus and to clear up a little bit of confusion we keep getting um we have had people call i know this sounds crazy call our website or call our office and ask about um they might have seen i had someone call yesterday that had seen on their um, pets veterinary record that their pet had been immunized 
against coronavirus. That's not human coronavirus. It is um, what we normally refer to with pets as kennel cough. So mm-hmm. remember that coronavirus is the name. Um, it refers to a shape of the receptor site on the actual virus cell itself. So there's coronaviruses in lots of different species, dogs, humans. And under the human coronavirus category, there are literally hundreds of different types of coronavirus. So um, you you may the best you're going to get today is human coronavirus. No one is going to have COVID-19 listed on their label because no one has actually tested COVID-19 yet. Mm-hmm. So because there, it's there's so the new. answer. Right. Um, you might have remembered that SARS and MERS both came through the U.S., uh, through North America. Um, MERS about, uh, oh, five years ago and SARS about nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And both of those, by the time we could have tested you know, gotten a sample, run it through the labs, get it on our label. Just getting something on an EPA registered label sometimes takes a year to get it on your label. Um, perfect example. We tested for human coronavirus in July and it's still not on our label because we don't have all the paperwork back from the EPA. So it takes a long time. It's why it's on our lab results are on our website. Um, but SARS and MERS are a perfect example of by the time we could have gotten SARS or MERS on our website, they would have been gone. You know, that's mm-hmm. how viruses work. They go through a population, infect as many people as they can and move on. And then they eventually just die out because they've infected so many people. This likely this virus, this coronavirus that we're seeing now will do sort of what the flu has done. Um, it likely will start to be more of a seasonal problem that we have. Um, not to this extent that we're seeing today. Um, but if you look back at some of the records of the Spanish flu and flus that we, the first flus we saw in North America, um, they came through and killed an enormous number of people. And then they sort of keep in mind that a virus for it to stay viable, you know, it's not in its best interest to kill it, to get so um, strong that it kills its host, which is humans right now. Mm-hmm. So it will, it will, it will um, start to mutate. And it likely will mutate in a way that it can keep coming back through, but in a less severe version. So I will not be surprised if we see it come through as a seasonal illness, um, but by then we'll have immunizations and ways to manage it like we do the seasonal flu. So right now with the current uh, coronavirus, what suggestions do you have for people that are in the uh, cosmetology, barbering, hair industry right now? Uh, for keeping their shops open if they're in an area that doesn't have government sanctions to be shut down? So as you might guess, this is one industry where social distancing is not an option. Yeah. Um, and it makes it very difficult to do your, to do in any kind of job in this industry right now. Um, if you are keeping your shop open, I think there are a couple things that maybe you're not thinking about that would be just tips to keep it a little bit safer. If you have the ability to schedule people, schedule appointments, Mm -hmm. consider staggering your appointments. So if you would normally do um, an appointment every, let's say, 15 minutes, maybe make it every half hour so that you do not have people waiting in your uh, your shop so that um, you have time to properly disinfect before the next client comes in. Those are ways that you can help your clients feel safer um, as well as yourself. So... Um, staggering appointments, if you can do that, that might be an option. Um, offering appointment times, and I know barbers don't typically work on appointments, but 
this might be a time to try it um, early in the morning or um, after your normal business hours for some of your um, older clients um, that still need to come in. Or I would say even now I would bring that age group down to 60. Um, I wouldn't stick with the 70. If you have people over the age of 60 or people that are in, you know, compromise, but are, you know, absolutely think they need to have their haircut consider having them come in before the shop opens or after you normally would close um point of sale um all of the things we use at a point of sale um ipads the cubes on people's phones all of those things that we use where we have multiple people touching them a day might be a place where we want to pull back so for example if you are using um the ipad type of um checkout point of sale thing Rather than having everyone touch it and put their credit card in it, have them read their credit card number to you and you hand key it in. So now you're the only person touching it. Mm -hmm. So hand key it in, which when you hand key in um, a point of sale purchase, it bypasses the signature portion. Because normally when you're hand keying in something, it's um, somebody ordering something over the phone or that type of thing. So try hand keying things in so people aren't touching. Because remember... If everyone's touching that iPad or touching your phone to use your cube, all of those things, you're going to want to use a wipe to disinfect your phone or your iPad afterwards. And I'm telling you, it the crush on wipes, it's coming, right? So mm-hmm. um, we all need to be being really um, – we need to be guarding those resources a little bit more and only using them when we really need to, which also brings up another point, reminding people that – disinfecting soft surfaces. That's your chairs that are made out of either leather or a leather-like material is not scientifically a thing. (laughs) You can only disinfect hard, non-porous surfaces. I know you want to try because it makes your your consumer feel better, Mm -hmm. Um, but it will, over time, disinfectants will ruin those those, uh, plasticky materials um, that they're made out of, the the vinyl-y materials. Um, over time on chairs in particular, um, it will dry out your leather. So considering if, if somebody is coming in that you're particularly concerned about, maybe a consideration is to put a barrier between them and the chair. Laying a towel down if they want that, putting towels over your armrests, things like that, because those can go in the washer and the dryer. Mm. Um, which also brings me to what, linens. Um, you know, turning everything to hot and putting your bleach in the washing machine Um, You never want to mix bleach with hot water. It causes bleach to separate, and so it won't work as a disinfectant. Really? If you're trying to make your bleach work in the wash machine, it's bleach and cold water to disinfect, but obviously you can't disinfect a towel. So my suggestion to everyone is right now when bleach is really hard to come by and we don't want to waste those resources, I would suggest remembering that your wash machine is a cleaning it's the cleaning step, right? It's the step you do before you put your combs into barbicide. It's the equivalent of that. It's let's put all the all the towels get in the water and they do a little dance and they wish you wash around and they start pulling stuff off. The actual surface stuff comes off and goes down the drain. What does kill things is the heat of your dryer. The heat of your dryer gets hot enough to kill things. Hmm. Your washing machine's probably not going to get hot enough to kill very many things and Bleach in your washing machine, I, you know, if you want to use it or if your state requires it, that's fine. But I would remember hot water causes bleach to separate and not work um, as well in this, in this situation. But the heat of your dryer will kill things. So 
drying things until they are hot to the touch, there's no moisture left in them, um, is a great way to deal with towels um, that you might have um, in the barbershop that need to be washed. Now, uh, moving on to hand washing. Now, I've yep. heard that, you know, everyone's uh, rushing to get hand sanitizer. and mm-hmm. But as barbers and cosmetologists, what should people be doing as far as washing their hands? Is washing with soap and water better or is using hand sanitizer better? And why? Well, so what we should have all been doing all along, <laughs> you might guess I'm a huge fan of hand washing. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, and hand washing, if you were to say good, bad, or best, hand washing is the, the gold star of mm-hmm. infection control. Um, I'm all, I'm thinking none of us would want to go into surgery if all our surgeon did was use hand sanitizer. We would be like, yep, go out and wash your hands. Go give you, give yourself a good scrub. Good point. <clears throat> a couple of things with hand washing and then we'll talk about hand sanitizer. Hand washing is in all the states that address um, and their rules that address hand hygiene, they all say hand sanit- or hand washing. They Some will make allowances for hand sanitizer, but they all say hand washing. If you listen to the CDC, any press conference you listen to by your state today, they will tell you hand washing. You almost never hear them say hand sanitizer. They're all saying hand washing. What makes hand washing work is not what is in those bubbles. So I don't care what you use to make bubbles, whether it is Dawn dishwashing liquid, if it is, I don't care, whatever you use to make the bubbles, because how hand washing works is that bubbles, they sort of like the wash machine where we just talked about all the towels bouncing around each other and knocking things off. That's what the bubbles do on your hand. It's why we tell you to sing the happy birthday song or the ABC song, because we want those bubbles to have a chance to all bounce up against each other and pull things off the surface of your hands so that they run down the sink. Um, I'm not a fan of um, antibacterial soap. Um, I would avoid antibacterial soap mm-hmm. because if you think about how antibacterial soap works, it, think about what that word says, antibacterial. First off, it doesn't kill bacteria. It just slows the growth of bacteria. Our problem right now is not a bacteria. It is a virus. And our hands, our body is covered with good bacteria. So if you think about the fact that your hand is covered at any given time with about 99% good bacteria that protects things from taking up residence on our hands, and now I go wash my hands with antibacterial soap, and it works on anything, what's it going to work on? It's going to work on my good bacteria. So I now have left myself more open for bad things to take a precedence on my hands, and in this case, viruses. So just getting plain old soap that has good bubbles, do not make the water too hot, lukewarm water. Hot water is going to dry your skin even more, and right now we're all washing our hands so much Mm. and using hand sanitizer. We can't afford for our hands to be any drier because all those little microscopic openings that come with dry skin are other portals of entry into our body. So we want to keep the you know the integrity of the skin on our hands really nice and supple so lukewarm water lots of bubbles and sing whatever song you want to sing for your 20 to 30 seconds wash it down the sink and then either use a clean towel or paper towel dry them if you don't have the opportunity to wash your hands hand sanitizer is a alternative but it should never be an alternative after you've eaten smoked or used the restroom those would be the three things those are um, the first two are times when you're putting your hands by your mouth, eating and smoking, and the third one is just 
using the restroom. So all of those times we should always wash our hands and not use hand sanitizer um, as an option. And another thing, if you're making at-home hand sanitizer, I do want to point this out because I've seen this on TV, recipes for making hand sanitizer at home. If you want to attempt to make hand sanitizer at home, knock yourself out. Uh, it's fine with me. But a lot of people are recommending that you use 99% alcohol if you can find it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely worst case scenario. <laughs> alcohol needs water as a catalyst to make that reaction work, to make it be able to kill things. So without water in there, if you're using 99% alcohol, you're actually using a lesser uh, effective alcohol than if you would use 70%. 70% alcohol when you're trying to kill things is the gold standard because that 30% water allows for that action to happen. It requires water as a catalyst. So you don't want to go above 70% alcohol. 60 to 70% is perfect. People think that hand sanitizer is at 60%. Because somehow somebody's cheap who's making it, that's not the case. It is the gold standard. So 60 to 70% alcohol, if you're trying to make your own or use alcohol in a pinch, that's what you want to use. Hmm. So when people buy those higher levels of alcohol, it's meant to be used as a concentrate to mix with other mix with water? Oh, no, no, not necessarily. It's meant for other things. But okay. this is not what it's meant for. All right, uh-huh. so... Um, so to scale it you know, back I, for human usage, it would be diluted in water. You would have to, um, as part of the, it's not that simple to dilute it. Mm-hmm. I would just say you're going to have a hard time finding 99% alcohol. Don't go searching for it. Just use what you buy at the store, which is normally 70% like isopropyl alcohol. 70%. Um, if I tell you, you can dilute it. I'm not really telling you it's much more complicated than that. So gotcha. Um, just, <laughs> Try not to use it. I saw somebody put a recipe that was forever clear, like drinking alcohol, <laughs> um, hand sanitizer. Um, you know, if, if you have questions about that stuff, you know, we're kind of at the point now where if people are having a hard time finding things and they just have a simple, how can I, what can I do question, they can always um, go through our Barbicide Customer Service Center. They're sending calls and emails to me and I'm answering them in droves. So, um, mm. you know, if you get in a pinch and you don't know what to do, I'm happy to help. Well, thank you so much. And one more thing. Do you know exactly how the coronavirus is spread? So that's a good question. There's a lot of um, speculation out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few things that we do know. We do know that it lives on surfaces. Um, depending on the type of surface, it lives um, a shorter period of time on fabrics, um, cardboard, um, things like that. We're, we're looking at um, several hours to a day maybe. We do know it lives on plastics and metals for up to four days. So that would be your combs, your shears, um, your back bar. It'll live on those surfaces for extended amount of time. Um, respiratory droplet transmission um, that when we start seeing human to human transmission. So what we're talking about there is community transmission. The first few cases that we saw in the U S we could trace it back to somebody who had been on a cruise ship or somebody who'd been in another country. Um, but once we start seeing it within our communities, which we're clearly seeing now, um, that's where we start looking at respiratory droplet. We now know that it will live in the air. It takes um, up to three hours for it to fall to the ground and, it's why we do social distancing. So um, there was a study that came out of Wuhan, China, um, a very small one, obviously, quickly put together. 
um, about a week ago that um, I saw on um, an infectious disease website that I follow. Um, and they did have a client, a patient that was shedding it in their feces, a live virus for up to nine days after their symptoms went away. Obviously, oh. that's not the easiest way to spread things, but it does point to proper hand washing after you've been to the bathroom just in case because we don't know. And when people say to me, I'm not worried about, you know, getting it. I'm young. I'm healthy. One of the things I want everyone to think about listens to this phone call is that 80% of people do survive this. Somewhere around 4% die, right? Mm -hmm. But if you think about the difference between 80% and 4%, there's about 16% of people who get it that could live if they get adequate medical care. If we do not stop spreading this, the problem is going to be we are going to run out of health care, literally just run out. And so those 16% of people that could live may die unnecessarily. And so it is all of our responsibilities not to go places where we might spread it unknowingly to someone else. I always say it's kind of unfortunate that 80% of people really have a mild case and don't feel symptomatic because if you felt worse, you'd go to bed. You know, people keep comparing this to the you know the seasonal flu Mm -hmm. and the problem with that comparison in my mind is that when you get the flu if you've ever had it you got so sick so fast you went straight to bed which means you weren't at the grocery store you weren't at target you weren't going to the movies you weren't doing anything to spread it around this virus unfortunately leaves so many people feeling fine that they keep going and doing those things that spread it to that rest of the population that is going to be really at risk when our healthcare, when we start seeing healthcare get a really serious pinch here in the next, you know, 10 days. I think the next 10 days are going to be the worst in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll start to see some alleviation. Hopefully we've done enough that the healthcare system can keep up. I would love nothing more than to say that we overreacted. That would be awesome because overreaction just means we did the right thing. So do you think for people in areas where maybe the virus is just starting that they should just for a week take a break or maybe two weeks just not go anywhere, shut down their businesses, and hopefully slow the growth of this thing? Well, if you were asking my advice, I would say that, and this is a personal opinion, Mm -hmm. that if we had just said a week ago, everyone stop, what you're doing, stay in one place for the next two weeks, we really would have bit the head off the snake so to speak it may be a little bit behind on that but i do think if people have the ability um that i live in kansas city and i will tell you that they just announced at nine o'clock last night all the restaurants and bars and gyms everything is closed um to my in my mind i understand that people are counting on that for a living but if we don't stop this you know it is our responsibility and so if people have the ability to take a week off i will tell you um, my husband has an appointment to get his haircut on Friday, and before this call, I called them and said, he won't be there, but I'm going to pay for his service. I already budgeted it, right? I'm going to pay for his service over the phone. I had a pedicure appointment myself over the weekend that I didn't go to, and I called and paid for the service. If we can get people to start thinking a little more globally instead of self-centric, mm-hmm. um, thinking about other people and the situations other people are in, I think um, everybody will benefit. And so to your point, if somebody can take a week off, if they can close their, their shop, um, I do also think it speaks well about you in your community so that when your store does reopen, 
that people will remember that you put them first, right? Because this will get worse before it gets better. And I think people will say, you know what? You did the right thing. Mm-hmm. So, And in a lot of cities, I do think a lot of states, your government's going to, your government's going to make that decision for you, which brings me to something that we all should be talking about. And maybe it's a podcast we do a week from now, which is when you're getting ready to reopen, what should you be doing? What are the things you should do if you've had yes. to close your your barbershop, what are the what are the steps you should be taking to reopen safely, and, um, and and to also pass the message onto your consumer about what you're doing? I think we haven't for a long time made this forefront what we do in this industry, demonstrating it in front of people. Hey, look, I'm disinfecting my clippers while you're still sitting here, so that they're ready for the next client. Hey, I'm doing this step to keep you safe. And I think going forward, that might be something in the forefront that we all start thinking about. And I'm happy to get back on with you in a week from now or whenever and talk about how do, how do we how do we restart and do it in a way that makes everybody comfortable. Absolutely. Dude, we would love to uh, meet up with you again and talk about all this stuff more. Yep. Well, I believe that should be it. Uh, Leslie, you have given us so much information i myself can't wait to re-listen to this podcast while i'm editing it so that i can actually just absorb it further because that's a lot of great information and a lot of great points about safety and conservation of our supplies in these uncertain times yeah um ladies and gentlemen that was leslie rost thank you so much for being on the steady hands barber club uh eddie do you have anything uh, you want to add to this? No, I'm just – that was incredible. Um, a lot of good information. You are very good at what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that, was, that was incredible. Um, I hope a lot of people will take a lot of this information and implement it into their own shops. Yes. Um, and, yeah, the best thing to do is do everything you can to stop the spread of this thing. So, yeah, man, thank you for being on the You're show. You're welcome. Everybody stay safe. All right. Stay safe. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, everyone. That's the end of our show. Don't forget, all the links that we talked about will be in the description of this episode today. Don't forget to uh, comment, like, and subscribe. No, that there's – I mean, you can. But uh, if you leave us a review – on apple Podcasts, that would help the show a lot um, mm-hmm. to grow and reach a lot more people so that would be awesome so just leave a like leave a review um thanks and with that being said we will be back for another episode so stay tuned subscribe wherever you're listening and i'll see you later yeah see you later <laughs>